I think what Obama did was throw a pebble. I'm ready to throw a rock. Did he say a rock or Iraq? It's an important distinction, I think. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I'm really scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK. 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Palinville, New York, 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also streaming on the intertubes at the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, where we blanket planet Earth five days a week on all of those affiliate stations. I'm glad you could join us today for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, Muckraker and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Man, oh man, is it a busy day on Capitol Hill uh, and everywhere else across this uh, across this nation. Among the many things that are going on t- today on Capitol Hill, Republican U.S. House Speaker Paul Ryan has said that Republicans will move to strip all federal funding for Planned Parenthood as part of the process that they are using early this year to dismantle Obamacare. That, despite the fact that millions of Americans rely on Planned Parenthood for health care as part of Medicaid, among other reasons, uh, and despite the fact that abortions, which Republicans object to, Uh, as carried out by Planned Parenthood, abortions are already banned from federal funding, other than in cases where the life of the mother is in jeopardy or due to rape. And uh, he plans to uh, strip all federal funding for Planned Parenthood, despite the fact that um, Planned Parenthood is wildly popular among all Americans, both on the right and left. But the Republicans don't care. They don't care how popular it is. Their far-right religious base wants Planned Parenthood killed, and the Republicans are willing to do it. They're willing to do all they can to make it happen, no matter how unpopular it may be among the electorate. They don't care. That's what Republicans do. They fight for, for he- like hell, for whatever they, for what, wherever they want. And they don't stop until they get there. Democrats? Not so much. And the fact uh, is highlighted once again uh, by an article published late last night at Alternet revealing that there is one last ditch, one last ditch Hail Mary effort afoot to block the ratification of the Electoral College victory by Donald J. Trump. But so far, it is decidedly not being supported 
at least not openly, uh, by Democratic lawmakers who could, if they wanted to, take advantage of this opportunity on Friday when the ratification of the Electoral College vote is set to take place during a joint session of Congress. The results uh, announcing Trump's win of electoral votes as cast by members of the Electoral College last month will be read by the uh, by the president of the Senate, which is Vice President Joe Biden. And it will be the last chance for U.S. lawmakers to formally oppose Donald Trump's election for any reason that they choose. They can object to the uh, to the Electoral College results. That's according to the U.S. Constitution and in what many, including myself, see as a last ditch Hail Mary effort. A group of bipartisan attorneys are now making the case that Trump's election should be blocked by lawmakers on Friday because at least 50 of Trump's electors, 50 of them, were illegally seated. They should have never been electors in the first place, among other concerns. And that is a violation of both uh, state law and the U.S. Constitution. Whether or not uh, this is something that Democrats should do or will do uh, remains to be seen. I think that Republicans certainly would if the result, if the, uh, the the facts of the matter were switched. In any event, the man who broke the story of this last ditch effort, uh, the story was broke late, broken late last night uh, on that uh, very quiet, too quiet behind the scenes uh, last ditch effort to prevent a president, Donald Trump. Uh, he will be here to discuss that story shortly for whatever it's worth. And we'll find out what it's worth, and particularly if uh, Democrats are not interested in it. Uh, so that'll be a little bit later, uh, very shortly coming up. Uh, also, uh, Desi Doyen will be here with our first Green News report of the year. Hi, Desi Doyen. Yay! Not More really. Green news. Not really. Not really. <laughs> yay. I know what's in store. I know. Uh, but, but no, it, it's, it's good lot. to be back with uh, to catch up with all that we missed over the holiday break in the uh, on the Green News front. And among the stories... Uh, that you cover uh, in today's Green News report is that of the Burlington, Vermont uh, Electric Department, which late last week it was reported that the uh, that the BED uh, and this came from a number of mainstream media news outlets. First, I think the Washington Post. The news came that they had been hacked by Russia and that the U.S. electricity grid was now at stake. A huge story rippled all over the internet uh, and and uh, corporate media right right before the holiday right before yeah. the New Year's uh, uh, weekend. Uh, the headline: Russian hackers penetrated U.S. electricity grid through a utility in Vermont. Officials say. Well, that is disturbing. That was the headline from the Washington Post. That led to a statement from Vermont's Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy. Um, that read in part, uh, state-sponsored Russian hacking is a serious threat and the attempts to penetrate the electric grid through a Vermont utility are the latest example. This is beyond hackers having electronic joyride. This is now about trying to access utilities to potentially manipulate the grid and shut it down in the middle of winter. Senator Leahy wrote, that is a direct threat to Vermont and we do not take it lightly. 
The state's uh, Democratic governor, Pete Shumlin, said Vermonters and all Americans should be both alarmed and outraged that one of the world's leading thugs, Vladimir Putin, has been attempting to hack our electric grid, which we rely upon to support our quality of life, economy, health and safety. This episode should highlight the urgent need for our federal government to vigorously pursue and put an end to this sort of Russian meddling. This all sounds very troubling, Desi Doyen. Yes, it does. Uh, However, turns out... Not so much. Nope, not true at all. Uh, And the electricity grid was not penetrated, as reported by Washington Post and others. In fact, it was apparently never a risk at all. And it is far less clear that the malware that was found on a laptop computer, there was some uh, malware that was found. Uh, This laptop computer was not connected to the grid in any way, shape, or form. And the Burlington Electric Department uh, says that, uh, well, no, we got no evidence that there anybody was in danger, much less that this was a state-sponsored Russian hacking. As uh, Senator Leahy, the Democrat from Vermont, reported it, much less uh, any evidence that there was any state-sponsored hacker involved at all, much less even by Russians. None of it. There's just no evidence in support of it. On Saturday, after the panicked reports uh, uh, on Friday, the Burlington Free Press reported that Burlington Electric Department General Manager Neil Lunderville uh, said that the malware, malware did not pose a threat to BED's highly computerized grid system and its customers. Uh, The malware, which uh, is stealth software designed to disable computers and cyber networks, or at least can be uh, designed to do that, uh, the the general manager says that this uh, sort of thing has emerged as a real threat to utilities worldwide. But he added that uh, federal investigators have so found so far found, quote, no information out there that suggests B.E.D. has been targeted. Uh, didn't stop Washington Post from reporting that the U.S. electricity grid has now been penetrated by Russia. Lunderville uh, at uh, the Burlington Electric Department said that uh, the BED has encountered viruses before. He, uh, Randy Norris, a uh, an Internet security expert in Vermont, said uh, that this sort of thing happens every day. And that uh, malware is downloaded more commonly as an unfortunate byproduct of Internet downloads. A statement released Saturday by uh, by the Electric uh, Department in Burlington said this sort of suspicious Internet traffic that it encountered, quote, has been observed elsewhere in the country and is not unique to Burlington Electric. It's unfortunate, they said, that an official or officials improperly shared inaccurate information with one media outlet. I believe that's Washington Post. Well done, WAPO. Uh, It was unfortunate that that inaccurate information was shared with one media outlet, leading to multiple inaccurate reports around the country. We've seen a lot of this, and I hate this story. I absolutely hate this story because it is all built on uh, secret sources. Uh, A lot of it coming, by the way, from The Washington Post. They have been uh, out in front. And as it turns out uh, on all of these uh, supposed hacking stories, uh, Washington Post didn't even bother to contact Burlington uh, the Electric Department before running their alarming report on Friday, quoting unnamed officials about the penetration of the U.S. electric grid, which did not happen. 
They had to change the headline uh, and the story, and they added this editor's note. And this is not a correction, mind you. This is uh, They don't call it a correction. They call it an editor's note. An earlier version of this story incorrectly said that Russian hackers had penetrated the U.S. electric grid. Authorities say there is no indication of that so far. The computer at Burlington Electric that was hacked was not attached to the grid. It's also unclear that it was hacked. Uh, Malware can get onto a laptop uh, or a regular computer by all sorts of means. But the, the Washington Post has been behind a whole bunch of these allegations from these unnamed sources, unnamed intelligence sources, still without evidence to back them up. That Russian state actors, even Putin himself, as the stories had evolved over time, it suddenly became Putin himself was hacking the U.S. elections. Uh, you know, Washington Post has been behind a lot of those stories uh, and, 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 you know, these claims that Russia... That the Russian state, not just Russians, not just, you know, I get <laughs> these spam emails, these phishing emails all the time. Bradblog.com is, is you know, attempted to be hacked all the time from sources uh, that appear to come from Russia, not from uh, the Russian state government necessarily, but from Russia, from China, from Iran, from England, from the UK, from France, from everywhere. So... Just present the evidence. But apparently uh, there is no evidence, at least no evidence that anyone seems willing to release. Today, a hearing was held in the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee in which Republican Senators John McCain and Lindsey Graham joined with the Democrats, joined with all of the Democratic senators, pretty much, I think. Uh, Des, you got to watch more than it than uh, more of it than I did. The yes. uh, were there any Democrats who were challenging this information? No, there were no Democrats, uh, Senate Democrats, that challenged it. They were mostly focused on uh, criticizing Trump for his disparaging comments about the intelligence community, but they were not that interested in what the actual evidence of anything was. And uh, you know, and I hate to. Uh, you know, people who know uh, my coverage know I, I'm not, a, you know, looking to take Donald Trump's side on anything. And uh, his attacks, I think, against the intelligence community have been inappropriate. But the notion that we should have evidence when we were talking about launching war, essentially cyber warfare is war. Uh, and then that's what uh, Lindsey Graham and John McCain and the Democrats seem to be calling for uh, in this hearing. The idea that they're doing this without presenting any evidence to the public continues to be wildly disturbing to me. It was disturbing while we were off on the holiday break and I was looking at these stories coming in that still contain no evidence. It was disturbing when they uh, pointed to this uh, uh, release, this joint assessment report, as if it was evidence. There is no evidence in that joint assessment report that was released last week at all. There were claims about Russia, but there is no evidence. Read it for yourself. It's a 13-page report. About three of the pages were making these claims, which may or may not be true. We don't know because they include no evidence. The rest was, uh, you know, giving information on on how people can avoid how, how companies and uh, and, uh, uh, you know, state governments and si local jurisdictions and so forth can avoid 
uh, being the victim of, of malware, of phishing attacks, of hacking attempts. But there was no evidence in it. And today, James Clapper, the uh, outgoing director of national intelligence, uh, who, who was found to have lied to Congress in the past about NSA data collection of Americans, uh, in, in the wake of the Edward Snowden disclosure several years ago, um, Snowden, uh, you know, had had made these claims about uh, the NSA collecting data from all Americans. Clapper came to Congress and said, no, that's not true. And then it turned out to be true. Snowden showed that it was, in fact, true. And later on, the NSA had to admit that Clapper was wrong, that Clapper lied. Well, Clapper showed up today and said in this hearing that he also that he still, that there was still no evidence and he still had nothing new to offer. The president tasked the intelligence community to prepare a comprehensive report on Russian interference in our election. We plan to brief the Congress and release an unclassified version of this report to the public early next week with due deference to the protection of highly sensitive and fragile sources and methods. But until then, we're really not prepared to discuss this beyond standing by our earlier statements. Okay, fine. So that was James Clapper. Uh, They'll stand by their earlier statements in which they claim this thing happened, uh, that they are not prepared to give evidence for. Democrats claim, oh, well, they can't give away evidence because it will, uh, you know, give away their sources and methods. Well, in the past, they have, uh, you know, they claim that uh, uh, China U.S. had charged five Chinese military hackers for cyber espionage against U.S. corporations uh, just a few years ago. And they released information about what they did. They released the names of these uh, alleged military Chinese military hackers. But now they're doing no such thing. Nonetheless, you've got folks like uh, Lindsey Graham, a Republican, and the Democrats essentially Calling for war again. We've seen this story. They're calling for war again without presenting evidence uh, for it to the American people. Here was here was Lindsey Graham. When it comes to espionage, we better be careful about throwing rocks. When it comes to interfering in our election, we better be ready to throw rocks. Do you agree with that? That's a good metaphor. I think what Obama did was throw a pebble. I'm ready to throw a rock. Would I be justified as a United States senator taking your information about Russia's involvement uh, in our election and what they're doing throughout the world and be more aggressive than President Obama if I chose to? That's your choice, Senator. Do you think he was, uh, he was justified in imposing new sanctions based on what Russia did? I do. Okay. So to those of you who want to throw rocks, you're going to get a chance here soon. And if we don't throw rocks... We're going to make a huge mistake. So what does that mean? You're going to get a chance here soon. Who's going to throw these rocks and what are these rocks going to be and why are they going to be throwing them? And and there's a lot of Republicans because they support Donald Trump who are simply uh, dismissing these concerns. Uh, But others are pointing out that we don't have uh, the evidence to support throwing these great big rocks at a foreign country, at least without uh, evidence. Senator Tom Tillis, uh, he argued that America has often meddled in other countries' elections. He's absolutely right. He warned against overreacting. He, uh, he cited a report from Carnegie Mellon University that found that the U.S. had been involved in 81 different foreign elections since World War II. 
So even if it is true, even if it is true that Russia meddled in the U.S. election and we don't have evidence for that, even if it is true, the U.S. does it all the time. But now we're mad when somebody does it against us. Uh, Senator Tillis, a Republican from North Carolina, said, in fact, when Russia was apparently trying to influence our election, we had Israelis accusing us of trying to influence their election. He said, but I'm not here to, to talk about that. I'm here to say that we live in a big glass house and there are a lot of rocks to throw. In cyberspace, he said, weapon systems get created in 24-hour cycles. You have no earthly idea whether or not you have a defensive capability against them. So if all of a sudden uh, you think, uh, let's go to declare war in cyberspace, he said, be careful what you ask for, because collectively there are 30 nations right now that have some level of cyber capability. And he's right. And if you're worried about the electric grid uh, being hacked, well, you go to war, then, yeah, there's a reason people that folks are worried about it, because it can be hacked. It is vulnerable. That doesn't mean it was hacked, but that it can be hacked. And, uh, I, you know, I just I continue, Des, to be very troubled by this story. We talked a little bit about it over the break. We've talked about it in the in the lead up. The way it's being reported, I understand why Democrats want to do this. They want to find anything they can hang on to to try to use against Donald Trump. That is no excuse for the corporate media, for the media, any media to be reporting this stuff as is without skepticism. This is exactly what we have seen before. Yes. Um, and I think that that's the point that you've been making is that we need to just be really, really, really careful uh, not to rush to judgment on what any of these actually mean until we have evidence. some more evidence, evidence to go with that. And I was happy to see Matt Taibbi uh, at, at Rolling Stone late last week. He uh, published a report called Something About This Russia Story Stinks. And I know Angie Koira read a bit of this last week uh, when she was filling in for us, but I think it needs to be underscored here. Taibbi writes, absent independent verification, reporters will have to rely upon the secret assessments of intelligence agencies to cover this story at all. And it puts media, uh, he notes, uh, in a very difficult place. He says, many reporters I know are quietly freaking out about having to go through it all again. We all remember the uh, WMD fiasco. He says the problem with this story is that like the Iraq WMD mess, it takes place in the middle of a highly politicized environment during which motives of all the relevant actors are, are suspect. I'll add, or they should be suspect. He says nothing quite adds up. If the American security agencies had smoking gun evidence that the Russians had organized camp uh, had an organized campaign to derail the U.S. presidential election and deliver the White House to Donald Trump, then expelling a few dozen diplomats after the election seems like an oddly weak and ill-timed response. Yeah. He writes, uh, Taibbi writes, if the Russians messed with an election, that's enough on its own to warrant a massive response, miles worse than the uh, heavy handed responses to ordinary spying episodes where we, you know, where we eject uh, diplomats for a while. Adding to the problem, he said, is that in last months, in the last months of the campaign and also in the time since the election, we've seen an epidemic of factually loose, clearly politically motivated reporting about Russia. Democratic leaning pundits have been unnervingly quick to use phrases like Russia hacked the election. 
50% of all Clinton voters now believe that Russians hacked the vote tallies. We have no evidence of that because we weren't allowed to see any of the evidence uh, of how the how the votes were tallied. And yet half of Clinton supporters believe that. That, he writes, is nearly as disturbing as the 62% of Trump supporters who, uh, who believe the, uh, that millions of undocumented immigrants voted in the election. This is all very hard, uh, at least for, or should be, for real journalists, frankly, to cover, to figure out how to cover. Uh, Taibbi goes on to say, on the one end of the spectrum, America could have just been the victim of a virtual coup d'etat engineered by a combination of Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, which should be among the most serious things to ever happen to our democracy. But this could also just be cynical ass covering by a Democratic Party that has seemed keen to deflect attention from its own electoral failures. We just don't know which is the problem, he said. We ought to have learned from what happened with Iraq and WMD. We've been burned before in stories like this to disastrous effect, which makes it surprising we're not trying harder to avoid getting fooled again. Yeah, and I know, Des, I know we got to get out, but uh, one more point here before we go, uh, as I call on you to be, to be skeptical. Uh, BuzzFeed reports today that the FBI never asked for access to the hacked computer servers at the DNC. The FBI did not examine and still has not. The FBI did not examine the servers of the Democratic National Committee before issuing a report attributing the sweeping cyber intrusion to Russian backed hackers. BuzzFeed News has learned six months after the FBI first said that it was investigating the DNC uh, hack. We don't even know if it's a hack. Uh, the, the Bureau has still not requested access to the hacked servers, according to a DNC spokesman who is named in this report. The FBI never requested access to the DNC's computer servers, says Eric Walker, the DNC's deputy communications director, in an, uh, in an email to BuzzFeed. You know, I, I don't know what the truth is about this story. Uh, no one does, at least no one outside uh, those who have access to what the intelligence sources are claiming. And if we're talking about going to war and throwing huge rocks, boy, oh boy, do I think we ought to be a hell of a lot uh, more careful. I know, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham was alive during the Iraq war because he was the one who was calling for it. Uh, and I know a lot of the reporters who are covering what's going on were also alive during that. And they got burned. And it seems like they don't care. They don't give a damn. They're just ready to run with whatever anonymous sources they have. I think it's crazy. Just when we need our media to get to get better, to really get better, they seem to be getting worse. Washington Post seems to be leading the charge, but whole, so do a whole bunch of others. And this stuff matters. This stuff matters now more than ever. All right. Well, I, I know we'll be returning to this story at another time, but I just had to get that off my chest. I wanted to get it off my chest earlier in the week. Too much going on to do so. Uh, and a lot more to cover on this and uh, the, the weakness of the so-called evidence that has been reported. Maybe some more will come, but we'll see. We need good media right now. We ain't got it. Quick break, and we are back with uh, the last-ditch effort to stop Donald Trump in the U.S. Congress. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Friday of this week, in a joint session of Congress, Vice President Joe Biden will read the Electoral College votes from each of the 50 states and Washington, D.C., and U.S. lawmakers will either ratify those results, finally, and officially, making Donald Trump president-elect of the United States, or... They can move, those lawmakers can, to challenge the results in one or more of the states. Now, while any such challenge seems wildly unlikely to me, Steve Rosenfeld at Alternet last night published an article breaking the news that, quote, more than 50 Electoral College members who voted for Donald Trump were ineligible to serve as presidential electors because they did not live in the congressional districts they represented or held elected office in states legally barring dual office holders. That stunning finding, he writes, is among the conclusions of an extensive 1,000-plus page legal briefing prepared by a bipartisan nationwide legal team for members of Congress who are being urged to object to certifying the 2016 Electoral College results on Friday. Really? Joining us now to discuss this effort, which has uh, received very little publicity or attention from the corporate media to date, it was, of course, just broken last late last night, um, or perhaps because it is seen as an incredible last-ditch Hail Mary effort with, uh, it seems to me at least, very little possibility of actually having an effect on lawmakers. Uh, joining us now to discuss it is our old friend Steve Rosenfeld, who broke the news of this effort late last night at Alternate, where he covers national political issues. Steve uh, previously has reported for National Public Radio, the Christian Science Monitor, Air America Radio, Marketplace Radio, and others. Uh, he is also the author of Count My Vote, A Citizen's Guide to Voting. Steve Rosenfeld, sir, welcome back to the broadcast. Well, it's, I'm glad to be here, Brad. <laughs> this is, uh, this is a, a remarkable report. So before we get into how much of a Hail Mary this is or is not, uh, yeah. and, and what are the possibilities for any success in any way, shape, or form, uh, first, I want to ask, who is behind this effort, and, and well, most importantly, what yeah. are their claims? Okay, yeah, for, go ahead, yeah, tell me who's well, this behind is, it. This, this is remarkable. Okay, so um, I stumbled into this because I have a, a curiously old-fashioned habit, which is I click on links <laughs> when I see emails and I try to read the underlying documents. Right. So there's a group of people who have been involved around the, um, the, the recounts, that were that were filed by Jill Stein, mm -hmm. and they. I saw an email yesterday where somebody said, "Did you see this?" And they excerpted one thing. You know, more than fifty Trump electors mm -hmm. are, you know, are illegally seat were illegally seated. Mm -hmm. So I clicked on the link, and it took me to a folder on the uh, somewhere in the in the great old cloud, right? With with you know a half dozen different documents including one that's a thousand pages mm -hmm. and what it is is um, the, the this apparently is the is the um, 
product of the lawyers who were working around the Hamilton electors group. And what that is was, if you go back to mm-hmm. the you know, mid-December meeting of the Electoral College, what they were doing was they were trying to convince people that if you look at the Constitution and, and you look you know, early on at that, you know, the Federalist Papers, that the real purpose of the Electoral College was to make sure you didn't place an unqualified person in the White House. So therefore, it was a matter of conscience and duty to basically not follow mob rule or whatever else mm-hmm. the result of elections and pick someone, pick someone else. So they were hoping that you, they'd get a bunch of non, um, you know, non-Trump you know, choices. So anyway, what ended up happening was these folks, when they were actually researching and lobbying individual electors, discovered in North Carolina, because they had their real addresses, mm-hmm. that a bunch of the people who, were, who were, had been appointed to the Electoral College did not live in the congressional district, which they're supposed to represent. Now, this, in a way, may sound arcane, or maybe it sounds like, didn't you write stories about Ann Coulter not being registered to vault in Florida? <laughs> Correct, yes. Well, she <laughs> so illegally uh, registered, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of the same thing, except that everybody thinks the Electoral College is just this, you know, fluffy and puffy and silly old artifice that is just more or less, you know, a, a, you know, a, a ritual. Yeah. But, what, but the thing is, in law, if we pretend we're a nation of laws, and in election law, the Electoral College is a federal office, however temporary, mm-hmm. And what it means is it, there actually are laws. Now, and what, so what these folks discovered in the Hamilton Electors Group, which I think is, like, it's, it's amazing, because, like, everywhere you look under the rug, there's something else that's either broken or not followed when it comes to you know, the partisan tinkering of elections. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, electro, uh, election laws in particular are just, uh, they're just sort of guidelines that you can either follow or not, apparently, when it yeah, comes to elections. Yeah, as long as their side wins. Right. So, so, so it turns out, it turns out that, you know, this team of lawyers, and this is, you know, this is where you get that whole bipartisan thing that you read mm-hmm. in the introduction. Yeah. They put together this report that basically listed state by state who the electors were, where they and, 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 it, and they and they identified them if they in fact lived outside of the congressional district that they were supposedly representing. They note they noted if some of them were not even registered voters in that state, which in at least one case I saw in this gigantic mm-hmm. spreadsheet there was. And then they also noticed if these states have you know sophisticated a series of like you know layered arcane fine printy rules that basically prevent somebody from holding the same more than one office. So, I mean, that was designed so that you don't have a U.S. senator who was also your governor. Right. But, but the thing is, um, they put this together, and they found that there were a couple of Democrats, but there were easily more than 50 Republican, you know, Trump electors. Right. And that that were basically illegally seated, and and they were in in you sort of uh, outlined two different cases. One, as you mentioned, they don't live in the congressional district, right? Uh, that they're supposed to represent as as an elector. And in the other cases, uh, they were people who held office. Uh, for example, Pam Bondi, who is yes, attorney yes. general. Yeah, yeah. So in the first case, um, you might say, "Oh my gosh, the Republicans caught themselves in vote engaged in voter fraud." How surprising is that? <laughs> 
Now, in the second case, you have Pam Bondi, the, you know, the famous blonde attorney general, I shouldn't be, sounds like sexist, you know, of, of Florida, uh-huh. you know, who is, you know, Donald Trump's big pal, and um, I'm surprised he's not even being picked for a position in his administration, you know, who has actually issued rulings, you know, on the, this matter of, you know, dual, you know, you know, dual office holdership, if that's the right term. And you have the president of the Florida Senate, and, and you have a lot of people like this. They just think it's another political plum, you know, okay, whatever, you know, this is fun, you know, we get to, you know, just like we get to go to the national conventions. But in fact, if you look at the letter of the law, which, which I guess, if you look at the press coverage of this today, Would- is people are just... You know, they're calling this a technicality and scoffing at it. Well, well is know? is this I- constitutionally, uh, if you're an elector, that is uh, a federal office according to the Constitution. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a fed. However, temporary, it's a federal office. And then, if I understand this, Steve, uh, people like Pam Bondi, who is the Attorney General of the state of Florida. Uh, a lot of these states have laws that the that you can't have uh, you can't hold more than one office at the same time. So Pam Bondi, as Attorney General, uh, if she is an elector, she is then holding uh, two offices at the same time in violation of state law, as I understand it. And I know there was one yeah, uh, elector. Yeah, there's, there's another yeah. category too. But yes, but what you're saying about Pam Bondi is that Florida's top. You know, law enforcement officer is breaking the state's own election laws so that she can cast a symbolic vote in the electoral college. And yes. there was an elector in Ohio uh, who actually did step down. I think either on the day of the electoral college when they voted in December, uh, in December, December nineteenth, uh, or uh, well, well, she she stepped down either on the day of the vote or the day before because of this, because Ohio state law bars right, uh, people right. from having so she stepped down but you're saying now there are 50 electors who did not step down yeah, at who, least 50 and what they could what, what could yeah. have happened or i mean look let, let, let's let's be realistic here what could have happened was you know these people had if they were if people paid attention to this process with the seriousness that they're right suggesting we should pay attention to other things um right you know, they might have they might have you know this is why they have alternates this is, you know, this is why you have subs, and this is why other people should have stepped in, and, you know. But, but, but it didn't happen. But it didn't happen. So, Steve, what, what? Is, so, so you've got some fifty electors at least uh, who, arguably, at least uh, argued by these, uh, by these attorneys, by these bipartisan attorneys, should not be electors. They're saying their electoral vote should not count, and now they're calling on lawmakers. They're using this brief yeah, to call yeah. on lawmakers okay. to challenge the results. Okay. Yeah. So, so here's what's happening. There have been a series of lobbying efforts done by various, you, you know, slices of the progressive community to try to get a, a, a challenge, just like there was in 2005 when Stephanie Tubbs Jones, a congresswoman from Ohio, from Cleveland, and Barbara Bacher, the California senator, mm-hmm. basically challenged the uh, Ohio's electoral college votes. And the way the process works is one House member files a formal um, uh, complaints or right. challenge, and then you ha- then it's basically signed on to by another House member and one senator, and that forces a two-hour long debate in each chamber, and then they come back and essentially rat- ignore it and ratify. <laughs> and that's that's specifically mentioned, by the way, that this two-hour they are to debate yes, for yes. two hours. That's specifically mentioned in the U.S. Constitution as to how to deal with these type of challenges right. to the electoral so, so, vote. So, so the big picture here is not just is is that there are different people. 
different groups or different coalitions have been urging a challenge be mounted, if nothing else, for an educational moment, if you will, on, on, in three areas. Mm-hmm. The, the, the first area is, um, which, which is being pushed by longtime civil rights workers, and, and mostly women, you know, like, like, like who are you know, veterans of like the, 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 the Edmund Pettus Bridge march mm-hmm. and Selma and all that sort of stuff. They're urging the Congressional Black Caucus to step forward and to basically, you know, put up the stop sign and use this as a moment to lecture the Republicans on voter suppression, you know, post the uh, repealing of the Voting Rights Act and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, there there seems to be some interest in the House in doing it, and the 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 only senator who might be considering it would be Cory Booker, and I haven't heard today that he's willing to do it. It requires, Steve, let me break in. It requires, in order for there to be a challenge, you have to have one congressperson and one senator. And as you mentioned, back in 2005, challenging the uh, 2004 election between John Kerry and George Bush, Stephanie Tubbs-Jones, congresswoman from Ohio, as I recall, and uh, Senator Barbara Boxer from California, they did a challenge. They jumped in. There was a debate for two hours. Barbara Boxer later said she did it because she regretted not having done so back in the year 2000. Uh, they, what happened then? They, they debated, and then they came back and, and voted to ratify the, uh, the results of the Ohio electors anyway, correct? Yeah, I mean, what happened then was, you know, Dick Cheney stood on the podium for two hours with a smug smile, and, you know, and they just mm-hmm. went, went on. But the point is that, uh, is that this is where we are left with, and there are moments to try to seize, there are opportunities to try to seize the moment, with you know, and grab the podium and the spotlight while you have it, and and just and and just you know, basically, attest to the veracity and and the seriousness of some issues. So one was the whole voting rights, voter suppression mm-hmm. catalog that you know continues to today. A, 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 another thread that people are saying for this is all the Russia stuff now. Um, there's, a, there's a congressman from uh, Colorado, Ed Perlmutter, who issued a statement yesterday. He's going to talk about this. In some ways, you know, this is the, uh, the easiest case to make because the, you have, right, you know, today and tomorrow you have House and Senate hearings, you know, on mm-hmm. what Russian interference, and it's basically just, um, you know, it's basically, you know, echo chamber conventional wisdom stuff. But it is a reason to point out, you know, once yet again, that, you know, we you know, we, that Putin helped Trump. And the third area is this one that these guys that I wrote about yesterday, you know, at Alternet, which is that, you know, while some people might call them technicalities, you know, apparently more than 50 of Trump's electors, and you only need 37 for it to, you know, to Mm -hmm. take away his margin of victory, um, were illegally seated. Now, you know, you know, Brad, people already, like in Politico today, are saying, well, this is just a mere technicality. Well, you know, voter ID is a technicality. Provisional ballots are technicalities. Purging voters are technicalities. I mean, you know, canceling early voting is a technicality. <laughs> well, listen, Steve, there are... Yeah, no, I understand. And there are reasons... Uh, that I, I think Democrats have. And, and, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, in the last segment uh, today, we talked about my I, I'm kind of uncomfortable right now with these challenges uh, or these claims, I should say, uh, about Russia when they when they're not being brought forward with evidence. But I understand that the Democrats need to or at least should do whatever they can to challenge Donald Trump, to challenge the Republicans. I, I, you know, it, it seems like 
a, a huge effort by these folks who put together this uh, uh, this thousand plus page yeah, so, yeah, legal so me, briefing. Yeah, yeah, so the, so let me tell you but, what that thousand pages is. Yeah, by the way, the thousand oh, pages is yeah. the, is the addresses of the, the names and addresses of all these electors. It's their credentials as you know, voter registration cards, all that sort of stuff. It's all the applicable laws in their states that would say that they have been you know, illegally seated because of jurisdictional or residential requirements or dual office citizenship, excuse me, dual office holding stuff. And there's a third category, which is the states were supposed to report back in a very specific way with signed votes for both president and vice president to Congress, and two-thirds of the, of the states where Trump won didn't do it. <laughs> so it's, it's just like, it's just the whole thing. Now, you can throw up your hands. And you can say, oh, God, whatever, or oh, here we go again. <laughs> but, you know, where we are is, um, you know, all the stuff, the fine print and the way things happen, it just gets blown off and the system perpetuates itself. And I should point out, the Democratic Party is not leading the charge with this. I mean, there's well, a pushback. You know, I got a call yesterday from somebody whose name was in an early article from who is the uh, whip of the Congressional Black Caucus, their press secretary, mm-hmm. because they did not want, you know, that woman who's, who's a uh, Wisconsin congresswoman, her name associated with the potential challenge. Now, this is the congressional, because she was getting beat up on right-wing radio. So this was a Democrat, so this was a Democrat actually challenging the, the, the premise of this case, the premise of your article. And that kind of brings me back to my point, uh, Steve, that I, I started to get to here. Yeah. It seems like this is a huge effort. It seems like it has very little possibility, uh, frankly, of working. But to me... It kind of underscores, and I think this is the case you're making, it kind of underscores what Democrats should be doing, frankly, and and more importantly, what I think that Republicans would be doing if the situation were reversed. And Republicans, by the way, they wouldn't have waited until the last minute, as uh, these folks seem to. Uh, But they would have been pushing this technicality or not. They would have been making a case. This is a constitutional issue. We have to have respect for the Constitution. We have to have respect uh, for the rule of law. And so my question here is, you know, will will a failure by the Democrats to use this information, as I suspect will be the case, uh, does that underscore your concerns as it does mine that they are not really that they are not really prepared to take on uh, Republicans and Donald Trump with the urgency that many think is required in this situation, that I think is required in this situation. But, you know, oh, it's just a technicality. Let it go. They need to use any tool they can, I would argue. Uh, You're uh, completely right, Brad. Listen, listen. And I talked to, you know, Bob Petrakis. He's been on your show. He's been a co-author with me with books on Ohio in 2004. You're absolutely right with, with, you know... (laughs) You know, for Republicans, politics is war by non, you know, mm-hmm. you know, non-military means, and they are willing to do anything and everything, you know, to, to to get their advantage. Now, the Democrats used to be that way after World War II. Bob said, and he's written about this, you know, as, as an academic. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the pendulum of history has shifted, and you know, and the Republicans are the party willing to throw the first punch and willing to fight harder. And the Democrats are sort of more willing to cower. And, and this is astounding. The, the, the whip of the Congressional Black Caucus was a, didn't want to be associated with a challenge based on up, based, brought forth by people who were 
they were targeted in police assassinations, you know, in Selma, mm-hmm. and other people stood in front of them and were killed. They don't, they're not willing to defend, this is insane, that legacy, because they're getting beat up by right-wing talkers who have nothing else to do from the state of Wisconsin except, you know, score points with Scott Walker. I mean, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about what we've been talking about now for too many years, Steve, which is a, a, a Democratic Party that cowers in fear, that cowers in fear of the media, the right-wing media, which is wildly, uh, uh, frankly, wildly po- powerful. They own the airwaves. Uh, you know, they own the public airwaves. It, there are airwaves, but they control them. And uh, I'm afraid the Democrats are still frightened of that, still frightened of the right-wing talk shows and, and, and Fox News uh, at a point in time in American history when Americans need them to stand up and fight like hell. And the tools here uh, have been given to them, whether it would be successful or not is another question. But the tools are, you know, have been given to them. And, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see if any of them exploit them. Uh, Steve, before we go, have you heard, have you talked to any or heard from or heard whispers from any uh, senatorial offices? Because it would require a senator from either any senators or uh, the House members who are taking this report seriously in any way, shape, or form. Well, the re- what I've heard is that there are a number of House members who are willing to, 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 to go forward. But the thing is, going forward probably means standing up in the well of the House and giving a five-minute speech before, and, and that becomes it. Because unless you have like somebody who can file the motion and then have it be yeah. second, because this is a, it's a joint session of Congress right. to start, and, and then you have to have the second by a House member and a senator. So you're, you're likely to get some short speeches. Now the question is, are they going to be short speeches? on, you know, this conventional wisdom of, like, oh, Russia interfered, Putin stole it, or is it going to be on the more, you know, on, you know, the, the more, I think, you know, detailed dossier of voter suppression tactics that continue, mm-hmm. or, you know, this other thing that came up yesterday, which was that, in fact, you know, more than 50 Trump electors were illegally seated. I don't know. Or, or none of the above, Steve. I mean, none of the above. That's that, and that, that's kind of what I, I, well, if I was forced to predict, uh, I, that's what I, I fear and, and will what happen. What I've heard but, is that yeah. there are House members who are willing to stand up. Yeah. But, uh, but, but everybody, but a lot of people are saying we're not going to do it unless there's a senator. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard, and I know that today people are frantically searching for a senator. Well, uh, keep looking. I hope they find one. I know there's about 48 who happen to be, uh, uh, you know, Democrats and who have a reason. Uh, to challenge anything and everything for the next two to four to eight years, but we'll see if they do. Steve, i got to get out. Steve Rosenfeld of uh, Alternate, uh, find his article, at least 50 Trump electors were illegitimately seated as Electoral College members. It includes a link to this 1,000-page report. You can find all of that at alternate.org. Steve, thanks for your continuing work. Uh, on this issue and continuing to give a damn about how elections actually work or don't. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey. 
Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Yes, Desi Doyen, we are still melting for you, even in uh, the year 2017, <sighs> as we try to get caught up uh, with quite a bit in our latest, our first Green News report of the year. While we were out. The president's declaration is drawing both condemnation and praise. President Obama created two new national monuments. Wisconsin solves climate change by deleting it. Ohio's governor reinstates renewable energy standards. Michigan bans plastic bag bans. Plus... Two people were arrested at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota today after hanging a giant banner from a beam. Activists get high to protest Dakota Access Pipeline. Of course they do. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Climate scientists now say 2016 will be the hottest year in Earth's recorded history, which means 16 of the 17 hottest years on record have come since 2000. Of course, the other hottest year on record came in 1863 when Mary Todd Lincoln took a boob out at the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> that actually makes no sense, but good God do I need something to laugh about. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we were off from the Green News Report for a week or so over the holidays, but thankfully... Nothing uh, happened in the environmental news, correct? Oh, maybe not to you, but oh. yes, there was plenty. Uh -oh. While we were out in the final weeks of 2016, President Obama designated two new national monuments, protecting from development nearly two million acres of wilderness held in trust for the public. Obama established the Bears Ears National Monument in Utah, a victory for Native American tribes who have sought for decades to protect their sacred archaeological sites, and Obama designated Gold Butte National Monument in Nevada, a popular outdoor recreation and tourism area, which also happens to be the backyard of the scofflaw extremist Bundy family, who are <laughs> under indictment for illegally using public lands for their own personal profit. Now, of course, Donald Trump will come into office. He'll just reverse all of this, correct? Well, Trump and the Republicans have vowed to reverse most, if not all, of Obama's environmental and climate actions, and they can do that with varying degrees of difficulty. But no incoming 
president has ever reversed a national monument created by a previous president. Republicans say they'll target the Antiquities Act, which gives all presidents authority to protect public lands. But to do that, they would actually have to change the law versus just overturn an executive action the way Obama has done this, correct? For that, specifically, yes. And House Republicans, by the way, this week passed new budget rules to make it much easier to transfer public federal lands to the states for sale or development. So they're already getting ready to give away our public lands. Yep. Meanwhile, in the states, in Vermont, good news, hackers did not penetrate the U.S. electric grid. In a story that spread widely before the facts got its pants on, malware of unknown origin was found on a Burlington Electric Company laptop computer that was not connected to the electric grid. Now, the threat of cyber attack on the nation's aging and decrepit electric grid is a major issue requiring attention, but this wasn't it. Part of the uh, panic to declare that Russia has hacked this or that or the other thing before anybody bothers to actually look at the facts. That's right. Wisconsin has solved climate change by deleting it. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports that the Wisconsin State Department of Natural Resources quietly deleted climate change from its website, purging key scientific facts on the impacts of climate change on Wisconsin's natural resources. The taxpayer-funded site now denies the global scientific consensus on man-made climate change. If it's not on a web page, it's just not happening. Everyone knows that. In Michigan, the Republican-majority state legislature has banned local plastic bag bans. That's right. The state government has blocked local governments from banning single-use plastic bags in an attempt to reduce pollution that clogs municipal water systems and costs cities millions to clean up. So the idea that Republicans like small government, uh, local government, Maybe not so much. It's the tyranny of local control. Hypocrisy of Republican control. In Minnesota, three Dakota Access Pipeline protesters were arrested after they climbed into the rafters high above Sunday's game at Viking Stadium in Minneapolis. They unfurled a huge banner calling out U.S. Bank, whose name is on that stadium, to divest from its investment in the Dakota Access Pipeline. And has U.S. Bank replied? Nope, they're still invested. In Ohio, in a victory for the clean energy industry, Republican Governor John Kasich has reinstated a renewable energy requirement for utilities that has been on hold for more than two years. He vetoed the Ohio Republican majority state legislature's bill to extend a freeze on those standards. So that's a good thing. That is. A Republican governor who did a good thing. That's right. Well done, John Kasich. Your political career is over. And finally, some good news. Finally. In Nevada, the city of Las Vegas has announced that it is now powered entirely by renewable energy. To be clear, they mean all of the city's municipal buildings and facilities are now run by 100% renewable energy. In this year, 2017, I will take whatever we can get. Indeed. Thank you. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to and didn't get to over the holidays, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Back from the Holidays Green News Report. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Oh, the Green News Report. Always makes me feel like dancing, Desi Doyen. Thank <laughs> you very try. much. Yes, our producer, Desi Doyen, thank you. Uh, and uh, thanks to my guest today, Steve Rosenfeld of Alternet.org. Thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. 
And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we do here on the air. It is needed now more than ever. So thanks for stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.